It's a special Digital Bytes podcast. Well, for me anyway. Happy birthday! Oh, you're screaming. You don't have to scream yet. I'm not that no. old. I hear uh, you. You are, you're, you are pretty old. You, you need a hearing aid, huh? you told me earlier on. What? <laughs> About three o'clock. What's that? What, what, what are you saying <laughs> over there? Yeah, I'm, I yeah, am well, seven years old. Not quite the big five zero. No, I'll be I'll be long dead by then. By by the time I'm fifty, we've moved on from blockchain and crypto to uh, quantum computing. It'll just be your avatar on on the radio. Yeah, it'll be a photo of me making up words with artificial intelligence. Do you think you might actually be like a board ape, like one of us articles this week? Oh, I, I will be copywritten and protected. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hal. Otherwise, there's going to be a real brouhaha if you forget your birthday again, won't there? Yeah, if I start forgetting my own birthday, it's over. Yeah, I know. Nobody I know. else is going to remember. Well, even worse, forget forget the Trouble and Stripes birthday, the wife. Right. You know, she's, That's what they call she's, it. Um, they call three months, trouble. She's trouble three months strife, older than wife. me. Don't tell everyone that. You're on the, you're on the public waves. I know. For, for a hot moment, we're the same age. Blimey, for a hot for a hot hot girl, same age as you. That's a what a prospect. But right. we're being diverted. We're not talking about your birthday. It's not always about you, you know. I keep telling you this, James. I know. Welcome we... to this week's Digital Bytes with Cyber Cyber.fm and Team Blockchain. In the metaverse, it's everybody's birthday, whenever they want it to be. That's why people want to get into those, because they, they can have a virtual birthday. Now we're going back to the Queen again, aren't we? Just as the Queen has a couple of birthdays you think everyone's going to want to have a virtual birthday because every day is a birthday hey as long as youtube performs <laughs> did you know well in london yesterday twitter went down i don't did you have that same problem in the u.s right for about an hour no one could get onto twitter i don't know why there were lots of frantic messages going on whatsapp and what have you saying are you on twitter what's happened to twitter why has twitter gone down and then some if you put a virtual private network and pretend you're coming in from asia it seems to work so i don't know what that was all about uh, we also watched all of Canada go down, right? The entire country. Entire country? What? Twitter or the internet? The internet. Canada hadn't... I swear to you, I had a conversation real quick. Guy in Canada. I said to him, if there's no internet in Canada, how am I talking to you? And he's like, oh, we're finding, you know, 5G here and there. But apparently, they weren't able to use their debit cards. They weren't able to get gas. They weren't able to go shopping, and it was literally Armageddon in Canada. One wow. guy yelled at me and said, wow. who carries cash around? Well, well, this is crazy. And I was like, well, I carry a little cash. Me, I always carry cash. Yeah, you got to have I'm, a little I'm cash. I'm a dinosaur. I always, always have a bit of holding folding in my back pocket. So the fact that they had no cash and the entire banking system was down and they couldn't even... They're, they're like, the good news is gas prices dropped to $8 a gallon. Wow. Because yeah. nobody was buying it. I was like, well, there you go. You had a little little RSI reset there. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, well. Well, I was down in the West Country in um, the UK, down in Cornwall, and uh, three shops I went into, and they all said, card only, no cash. And they said, because the local banks have shut down in the area, they can't get to a bank to pay in their cash to get change, this is a nightmare. So we only take debit and credit cards. So yeah, eventually, gonna it's going to be but... it's going to be ammo and goats. Yeah. Always got to have a bit of cash. You never take know. my goat. You never know when you 
you never know when you want to do a dodgy deal and pay the window cleaner or you know tip tip a disc jockey to tell to play Barry White and he just wants a bit of cash to buy himself a beer. Yeah, Barry White. I referred to you, I, actually, I referred to you the other day as a disc jockey, and the guy on the other end of the phone, he laughed. He said, you're so old, Johnny. I haven't had that word disc jockey for years and years. I said, well, James spins the old uh, vinyl. He's, he plays his music on his show. Why not call him a disc jockey? Literally, literally put the D in DJ. It is a disc jockey. That's how you know we're getting old. Yeah. That's how you know my the career <laughs> is about to end when we're spinning <laughs> tunes and you're like, where's the master mix? As opposed, as opposed to spinning plates. But come on, James. Let's get on with the show. It's a big enough intro. Right, what have you right. been up to this week? Nothing. I've been preparing for my birthday. I've been preparing for some new Cyber FM tokenomics that's going on. And other than that, uh, I've been playing catch up with, uh, you know, I got my dad in and out of the hospital. I got my, my mom has been on a shopping spree lately. That's another thing about getting old. I think we just start buying stuff. Just, yeah. It's on TV. You dial an 800 number. Boom. It shows up. It's like the Amazon for seniors. <laughs> well, you've also been doing a couple of podcasts. So some of our guests have been doing podcasts. I know you've been working on that. So they'll stop being unreleased over the next, hopefully, the next few days. We've got a few of those lined up. Um, and actually, after, after this, we've got um, Chris Luck, um, who's a lawyer at a legal firm called CMS Law. And he's talking about tokenization as a solution. And they did a webinar, um, which I actually took part in. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and he's he's talking about some of the findings and what other people thought around um you know examples of how digital assets are evolving and how the technology is being used um and you know what what's what's possibly the way forward um and with vis-a-vis the technology and and regulation but but that's coming up after the break so what do you want to go through today we've got uh copyright we've got DeFi and TradFi, and we've got blockchain in the metaverse being helped in the mental health sector. So that's some of the stuff that we cover in this week's Digital Bytes. Mental health during crypto winter, that's got to be, that's got to be interesting. But I see my friend Andy Rosen, file protected. That must well, have to do with the, the copyright. Uh, well, he's, he's obviously, so Andy's in California, as regular listeners will know. And um, he's, um, well, just a bit of background uh, to Andy. And Andy's basically... Um, been involved in um, the music and entertainment industry for for, for many many years. We are um, co-workers, and he's also yeah co-workers, absolutely. But he also, um, as well as being involved in the sort of uh, photography music industry, um, he's been trading crypto and he's been building a blockchain based app. Um, and it's all around trying to protect your intellectual property. And this whole project started originally. Um, so how, how do you actually, um, how can you be certain or how can you prove to someone that it was your script? It was your video. It was your picture. Um, and as he said, you know, basically the, the, the legislation and the rules around IP, um, they're really being stretched. You know, there's, there's a hundred million images a day are being shared just on Instagram. Um, and you know, that that's a huge amount of content being uploaded you know and then on top of that you got tiktok and you got facebook and you know so it goes on and on but how do you prove it was your picture it was your song and um he's done a really interesting article and he and we sort of went back in time i was talking to him around this topic like how does how can blockchain help the copyright and um and we found out that actually back in 1557 here in england in the reign of queen mary 
um, she granted a, a, a charter to um, an outfit called the Stationers Company. And they basically um, were given control. Well, they, they had like a register and they were trying to stop sort of plagiarism, stealing um, ideas. And they said um, they were given control to people so that for 14 years, you could actually have protection if someone stole your written articles. And then it was possible to renew that for a further 14 years. And it was a it was the statue of Anne. So this whole problem of copyright and protecting your intellectual property has been going on for you know over 500 years now. And we're now seeing with digital um, IP and obviously non-fungible tokens is very much at the center of all this. How do people basically make sure that when you're buying a digital image, you're buying a non-fungible token? How do you make sure that you actually do indeed own it? Um, because just because you've registered uh, on a blockchain doesn't actually give any legal rights or remedies. You, you have to register your stuff with the US copyright. But the trouble is, is that that can be pretty expensive to actually do. It's also very centralized. Well, as you well know, one of the reasons for Cyber.fm being set up in the first place was to how do you actually find a, you know, can you find a better solution to be able to track and trace in the provenance and tracking um, the royalties for musicians. And that's something you've been very involved in for, what, 14, 15 years now, James? Yeah, we, we identify, I mean, well before crypto and blockchain technology, you know, we, we, to this day, we, we do report our copyright reportings to, the, in our case, the United States federal government by law, an organization that's been appointed by the government. And, and we submit a good old-fashioned spreadsheet comma separated value file and uh it makes or breaks whether or not we are considered legal and it's only one agency that that really makes that decision for you and then it is not cyber fm's responsibility to directly pay the artist it's the government so in in this world here you know it should be and by all stretch of the imagination why not having the artists just using blockchain directly claim their payments from us with our stats yeah. posted publicly? That's, a, that's the example so, so that, that says, we're in. Yeah, well, and in and, and the article, as Andy Rosen points out, um, the U.S. copyright system was designed exclusively on a sort of commercial monetary system, um, you know, copyholders' rights. Um, and they're not based on sort of the innovation and the, um, the ownership of the the IP from the artistic point of view. So actually having the proof of your, the origin, where, where did the IP originally come from? You know, was it a blog post or, um, you know, was, was it put in a message room or, you know, and it's becoming really important to, to, to establish that provenance and be able to prove the copyright to be able to then secure the statutory payouts that you're then talking about there. And, because the federal courts have exclusive jurisdiction over the copyright, federal litigation is really expensive. So a lot of professional creators find that running small businesses really find it very, very difficult. Um, so in the States, and I'm sorry, this is a little bit US centric, but um, I think it's really important because, you know, you, certainly in the music and the entertainment industry, the US is still very, very dominant on a global basis. But they introduced something called the Case Act. And that was a law introduced um, really to, to, to see could they actually help in the small claims to ex avoid expense litigation and costs in terms of fed, federal court action. 
But now intellectual property owners can represent themselves without an attorney and potentially having your IP on a blockchain because it's immutable, because it's timestamped, should present a, 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 a support your evidence for any sort of claim. And, and that's really what he was um, getting out there in terms of saying, well, look, because we're in a digital environment, we need to have a digital solution and proposing that having, um, if you're like your IP registration, maybe blockchain technology can actually help to protect you in terms of the copyright there. So that was that was really the gist of what he was talking about, James. Yeah, imagine as if every song, for example, had its own Genesis stamp, right? We always talk about the Bitcoin Genesis block, which has a, a newspaper reference from the UK. So every single yep. every single piece of artwork would you'd say in court, well, here's our Genesis block. This is where we established yep. our copyright. Bada bing, bada boom. Next thing you know, everybody's good. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing we talked to um, Andy about um, was around this this sort of we called it the brouhaha, i.e. the fuss, the controversy around bored apes. Um, and we've you know I'm sure many of the regular listeners will be more than familiar with the non-fungible token collection of board apes. Um, you know, they, they really have, um, you know, cr- captured people's attention with a board ape yacht club and the like. Um, and, and there seems to be a bit of confusion um, around sort of non-fungible tokens and intellectual property law. And we, we've touched on this with previous guests and sort of springs to mind. If you remember a few, a few months back now, we had um, Nick from Nicholas Fitzpatrick from DLA Piper. And that's a law firm that done a lot of work here with the likes of the UK Premier Football League, who've raised over 400 million sterling. So in, 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 in your money, that's about $500 million of selling sort of IP around um, football or, sorry, soccer. Soccer. Um, so this is, we're talking, about, we're, we're talking about big money, we're talking about big institutions here. The Premier League is obviously well known on a global basis. And what's happened with Bored Apes is that buyers thought they owned the copyright and they could do what they wanted to do with it. Um, but that would appear not to necessarily be the case. And there, there was a, an American actor. I, I don't know. Do you know Seth Green? Is he pretty big in the States? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, an he's actor. A and producer a... and writer. Right. Director and all that sort of stuff. Well, he thought he owned the copyright because um, Yuga Labs, who created Bored Apes, included in the sale, and he created a TV show around his NFT ape. But then after developing the project, his ape was stolen. So someone walked off with his monkey. And then this raised a copyright issue and highlighted that actually no one owned the copyright or the legal right, more importantly, to create a TV show. So having spent a lot of money, this effectively killed off the, the, um, the, the project. So this whole question mark in terms of the legal ownership of a non-fungible token, it, it still isn't completely clear. And it's something which... Um, you know, we you, you really need to make sure that you understand what it is you've bought with an NFT because different NFTs come with different rights, different exclusivities, um, and therefore they're not all the same. And I suppose that's really what we want to get across here when talking about that sort of stuff. So I guess Seth Green is a good example, right? So imagine we have our NFTs out there, right? Nobody ever wants them. But you take your NFT, right? Let's say Seth Green buys it. And uh, he's on that show, Family Guy. Remember Family Guy? Yeah, yeah. I, I love that show. Don't judge me. So you're, next thing you know, you're watching Family Guy, and, and Seth says to himself, well, I own this NFT of Johnny. I, I have every reason to just hang it on the wall in the living room of Haley's house. And uh, 
there it is. Now you find out. Now Johnny, you go, hey, that that's not cool. That's that's me hanging up in a room of a cartoon, and then you contact Seth Green. So where do we put that contract that says you own the copyright? Do we put it normally? A smart contract for an NFT would say you own the rights and you receive the recurring rights, ten percent every sale, right? Yep. But what we're saying here is that that's not the case by default. Is it's that what happened? That it, we're simply saying that you need to check when you buy the NFT. Have you bought the NFT for your own personal use? I stick it as a screensaver on your mobile phone or on your laptop or something like that. Or have you bought the NFT and they can have commercial rights over it? I.e., you can use it in a magazine or you can use it in an advert or on a TV. And you know, you might find different NFT come with different rights as to what you've acquired. And I think that's really what we're saying here. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of this prior to the article about there's been no real comments about who owns these apes, right? Well, again, there's there's as ever there's an art there's a there's a hyperlink that um we we put in there which um people can people can have a look. So there's a bit of stuff going on in there. So, it's a big one. A but James, the other thing I did want to touch on because I, I, I did find this quite interesting when we were doing the article about blockchain and the metaverse. And again, a lot of people say to us, yeah, the metaverse is all about online gaming and passive gaming. And I'm I'm just not into that thing. It's not really relevant for me. And, you know, why do I need to worry about the metaverse and and virtual reality? And what's the relevance of it? Um, And and so we started looking at the the mental health sector um, and looking at some statistics um, around sort of, you know, the global health care sector as a whole. And, And Incredibly, we found, according to Deloitte, that 25 to 50 percent of the population globally is affected by some form of mental health challenge. Um, yeah, well, you certainly did this morning. I phoned you up and you were still in bed, even though it was your birthday. Um, right. And, but and I needed a doctor at that point. No, you didn't you need a fag. Get out of it. You said, no, give me five minutes. I'll just have a smoke and then I'm, I'll be there bright and breezy. It does fix um, everything. But no, it? but just joking apart. <laughs> But joking apart, this it is a real. Uh, the other figure I was horrified by: eight hundred thousand people a year die from suicide. Um, so that's once every 40, forty seconds. And but in the sort of younger age group, fifteen to twenty-four year olds, suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world. Now, the reason I'm sort of just highlighting these statistics, um, you know, Deloitte's go on and say that by twenty thirty the mental sort of illness costs could exceed in excess of $6 trillion. So this is having a big impact on society and obviously on business, but more importantly on people's lives, you know, because if they've got mental health challenges. So, so how can a technology help in that sense? And what we, what we actually uncovered were, were a number of different examples. Um, you know, again, a, a very well-known uh, individual, certainly sort of uh, in the new age world and sort of in the digital world, a chat called Deepak Chopra. And he's launched his Never Alone initiative, a worldwide alliance, um, in conjunction with um, Hedra Hashgraph. And, and basically, you know, it's a not-for-profit. And they're looking, how do they support mental and emotional well-being um, in this Never Alone um, campaign that they've designed to create a community to be transparent um, so people can discuss their sort of health and wellness and mental health issues. And, and they've got a, they're using blockchain as a um, as part of the technology and a, a blockchain pad f- platform to help medical practitioners 
um, to be able to get information and assess people's mental health and well-being so that they can load information on database so it can't be talked, tampered and interfered with, but can be accessed globally and then share information about that individual on an ongoing basis. But, but I, I thought it was also interesting, and we, we touched on this in the past, if you remember, when we were um, there was a study which we highlighted in, here in the UK, and they were using virtual headsets, so taking people into sort of an augmented virtual reality environment in order to help them overcome their needle phobia. So there's 10% of the population who basically are frightened of needles. And what they actually did was they strapped on um, a, a, a sort of headset and said, okay, we're going to virtually talk you through having an injection. And as a result of that, they were then able to help the vast majority of people to actually then have an injection in order to protect them from COVID. And then in Wales, the NHS to combat stress, which has become a huge issue because of you know people having COVID, staff not being around, they've actually been using the metaverse as a way to help people to you know de-stress themselves, take them out of their working environment, perhaps take them on a nice walk or maybe on the, do a bit of fishing or maybe do a bit of skiing or whatever they're into. And that helps them to sort of reduce their stress levels and, and therefore helps them to not suffer so much from depression. So we're seeing some real concrete examples of how the technology is being used to help people with some mental health challenges. So this, it was a request from a, from a reader, could we look at it? And it was interesting to see some examples that are actually out there as well as a lot of stuff people is uh, in the metaverse. It's going to come. It's going to come. But these are examples of things actually happening now. I mean, I, I would tend to believe just by default, if you have some sort of a mental health issue and we all know somebody who does, why wouldn't it would make absolute sense? That person might feel much more comfortable being behind the guise of a keyboard, nonetheless, an Oculus device, right? Where you are in a different skin speaking to a mental health expert that in in by use of your eyes you may not consider real which might make you open up more in say in psychiatric mm -hmm. world right and to me yeah. that's completely logical yeah yeah so but again sometimes unless you point it out people don't you know i say we get a lot of people who say well the metaverse it's you know it's for the birds and it's not for me i'm you know i'm not some teenage kid you know going on online I don't need a virtual relationship. So, well, hang on, but it can be used in this way. Or, or well, fun if I was talking about this very example um, to a uh, to a GP, a, a, a doctor, a friend of mine, actually at the weekend, and he was saying, you know, I, he sort of vaguely understands some of the stuff I do. And I said, well, here's an example. He said, I had no idea they're using it in the health system to help people. And when you when you give an example to someone like in the medical field like that, and he says, gosh, that makes so much sense. It's and it's something, you know, this this guy. Uh, Simon, he's he's in his now mid sixties, and as he's, by his own admission, he said, "You know, we weren't trained when we were being trained as GPs to necessarily know how to handle and um, deal with mental stress. It just wasn't the, the issue that it is undoubtedly now. It was kind of swept under the carpet. You know, you you have the terrible stories of people being locked in, you know, locked in basements or locked in the loft. That well, that's where my mad uncle is, or that's where my mad." You know, wife is we lock her away. Well, just terrible, terrible. But at least now we're discussing it. It's more in the open. And then hopefully we can deal and manage it much more sensibly. Yeah. And we've had conversations about just even disability awareness with the metaverse. Everybody becomes accessible. Right. Everything's inclusive. That's, that's a whole 
There's a lot of articles you could do about, you know, real-life situations with the metaverse, especially in the medical field. Yeah, no, very much. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to that as subject. But, James, we better, we better, um, we better crack on. I know we've got Chris waiting. Um, he's coming up after, after the break. And he's, as I say, he, he'll be talking about um, a, a webinar they did where they were looking at tokenization as a solution. So that's Chris Luck from CMS. But before we go, you've finally got the Team Blockchain website up and running. The website. And I didn't know. I didn't even know. Teamblockchain.co.uk. You, you English people over there with your own top-level <laughs> domain names. So teamblockchain.net and teamblockchain.co.uk. Now direct to a real bona fide website, which right now yeah, I think our podcast... Yeah, you know what? In all reality, it's more of a partnership. But yeah, it's now its own website. All of the podcasts are there. We're going to be setting up the automated signups so that you don't have to email us directly to get on the list, right? We are trucking Absolutely. along. Absolutely. And if you'd like a copy of the, web, uh, the website, if you want a copy of the weekly <laughs> newsletter we send out, just go to there and there's a, there's a button you click, just information, and we'll send you then. But very shortly, there'll be a, a direct link for you to subscribe and unsubscribe um, via Substack because we've, we've now got um, the weekly newsletters going out by Substack. So that's um, something which we've been working on in the background. So great. OK, James, well, we'll be back after the break talking to Chris Luck from CMS. You are listening to the brand spanking new Cyber.fm. The FM stands for free money. This is a podcast brought to you by CMS Law featuring Chris Luck. Chris recently wrote an article and attended a webinar that addressed some important questions for tokenization as a solution. In the webinar, they ask, is the recent crypto news volatility a game changer? Will tokenization of assets and digital technology continue to grow? And if so, how is tech and regulation in better shape? Good afternoon. I'm delighted today to be joined by Chris Luck from CMS Law. Chris, welcome to the CMS podcast. And you've written an article tokenization as a solution i wonder if you could just give us a quick overview of, of the article and what, what inspired you to write it okay well thanks uh, very much johnny and uh, delighted to be on the show and happy birthday um this obviously a birthday special today so i'm uh, honored to be on, on air with you guys and what we're talking about really is a webinar that we held a couple of weeks ago on the 22nd of june and the, to- the original title was tokenization as a solution because we were coming at this largely from the point of view of funds, fund managers and security tokens. Um, But that actually prompted a much bigger debate um, around actually whether the current turmoil in the crypto markets um, was going to perhaps prejudice or damage the evolution of these other types of tokens. Um, And and so we actually took on board some of the bigger issues Brilliant. So, 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 because you you do a lot of in, in your sort of what I call your normal day job, you, you're working closely with a number of different asset managers who have been looking at the idea of tokenizing, digitizing existing mutual funds. If I understand correctly, yes, and private alternative funds and asset classes that perhaps have not yet perhaps been openly uh, investable in for people around the world generally, and, and tokens and the use of the technology are potentially great enablers. Um, But then there is the counterbalance of regulation, prudential regulation of economies, and all the concerns that go with the crypto world, as well as the benefits. Okay. And and 
you, you had a variety of guests on on the webinar. Um, very uh, honoured you, you asked myself, but but more importantly, you, you had Daniel Coe who um, on the show from Tokeny. Uh, could you perhaps explain just a little bit about Tokeny and and some of the work and what Daniel was actually saying there? Yeah, well, uh, Tokeny obviously is one of the um, well-known leading tokenizers, um, and indeed uh, has certain authorizations in, in Europe and uh, is sort of a, a great advocate and uh, practitioner when it comes to tokenizing asset classes, particularly in the sort of um, funds type space. Uh, I think that's still an evolving market, but obviously they are one of the players at the forefront of that sort of activity and have linked up with authorities and backers, uh, for example, in, in Luxembourg. Um, and that is a jurisdiction which we as a firm are seeing a, a huge amount of activity because of the combination of skills such as tokeny service providers in the fund space and actually a fairly um, benign or embracing uh, set of uh, um, regulators who see the scope for fintech and the financial economy and how uh, digitalization can transform uh, traditional securities or fund offerings, uh, not in only in the way of offering tokens, but the whole infrastructure around it and the processes. Okay, because they say Luxembourg, you joined, we were joined by um, Aurelin um, Hollard from, from, Correct. From, uh, from CMS Luxembourg. Um, and and they, they've been doing quite a lot of work around the tokenization because Luxembourg are now passed legislation. So they're, they're ahead of many jurisdictions where you can have dematerialization of securities or to put it more simplistically, you can effectively create a security without a lot of paperwork. Would that be a fair way to describe it? Yes, I think the token, in effect, becomes the share. Uh, whereas right. in other countries, we have to create something representing the share. Right, right. OK, so so Luxembourg seemed to be sort of leading the charge to, to some extent. And, and obviously, tokeny, they, 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 they're based there um, in, in, in Luxembourg as one of the jurisdictions I know they operate out. But you also had um, Tina um, Balzi, a, a, another colleague from uh, CMS, but she's based in Switzerland. And, and she was talking about, um, you know, the direction of re- regulation and law. And it seemed Switzerland not quite quite as far as advanced as uh, Luxembourg. But there's been a lot of work going on in Switzerland. And they seem to we've got the Crypto Valley and we've got a lot of companies. Unfortunately, a number of companies have left the UK and gone to Switzerland because they seem to have a, a more embracing sort of... Uh, perhaps let's call it friendly jurisdiction for these sorts of projects. Absolutely. And I I think Switzerland is another pathfinder jurisdiction. Singapore would be another and and others besides where the laws and the regulation are evolving and they are enabling tokenization of assets to take place. I think it'd probably be fair to say in Switzerland that the main fund sector is yet to move into the space in any big way. But that's also equally true of places like the United Kingdom. So uh, there, there's, a, there's a balance of caution versus opportunity when it comes to, especially when it's handling uh, retail investor money. Right. OK. But you, in the webinar, you, you touched on some, some real live cases of things that are actually happening. And you've got examples of um, institutions like BMY Mellon, Fidelity, Goldman's Northern Trust. They're all providing sort of custody um, Visa, Mastercard, PayPal—they're all providing the, like the payment platforms, and and you've got other sort of regulated exchanges such as Tokeny and firms like CoinFirm offering sort of um, um, anti-money laundering verification checks and the like. So these are already happening, and this has led to a number of asset managers 
actually looking to tokenize some of the funds. And we've seen examples of that already with the likes of JP Morgan uh, Chase, who, you know, arguably the biggest bank outside of China. We've seen Franklin Templeton, Alliance Bernstein. And these are all examples of coming back to tokenizing, digitizing actual mutual funds, which is which has been interesting. But we had another exa- another example of, and I, this was great. It was from from Denmark. We had Klaus, Klaus yes. Scanny, and he, they're doing something with real estate. Yes. So obviously another big tokenization area. Um, and I, I think he spoke to a, a real life example in the United States. Um, but tokenizing real estate is another huge opportunity because it's a relatively illiquid uh, asset class. And of course, one of the things that both Tokeny and DigiShares are looking at is by creating tokens around these types of assets. Um, you can open up liquidity pools and investment, which may not have been available previously. Um, I would say with all of the fund-related activity, though, um, the, the token is a great opportunity to introduce um, processes, liquidity, and other things. But also, you should never lose sight of the underlying real asset. Uh, I think that's one of the things perhaps people are looking at at the moment. What does the token represent and what cost savings or other benefits does the technology, the digital technology bring? And for example, in the United Kingdom, um, the FCA has a very broad definition of a crypto asset and it's sort of technology neutral. So when you're creating something, really you have to look at it in very much the same way as you'd look at creating shares in a company or a mutual fund or a collective investment scheme. So the tokenization can't be seen as a way of dodging around the sort of existing um, regulation. It's, it's more a case of bringing the two into alignment. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important. There's, you know, the tokenization ultimate, and also the underlying quality of the investment, whether it's a mutual fund or real estate or equity, you know, it's, Really, it should perform based on its actual credentials as opposed to its digital, opposed to being sort of based in the analog. Um, and Chris, finally, you, you introduced your colleague from um, from Ukraine. And I, I know it wasn't necessarily tokenization of funds, but can, can you explain what, what, what they've been doing and what's been happening in Ukraine, you know, recently? Yeah, well, we were talking about tokenization, um, you know, in, in a broader sense, obviously, on this seminar. And one of the use cases we spoke to was the fact that the crypto community has actually raised significant funds for Ukraine for relief, um, either in the form of sort of military relief or or, um, humanitarian relief. Uh, And so therefore, the cryptocurrencies can be used for humanitarian causes, for example, um, or, or causes such as this particular one, which is obviously very poignant at this point in time. And the other example spoken to, I think, is that Ukraine um, has actually issued war bonds, wow. um, which have a crypto element to them. So it's it's interesting how the whole crypto space is evolving. And you know, on a very positive note, I think that the uh, introduction of the sort of players that you were mentioning, the sort of regulations that we were touching upon, shows that there is an opportunity to really grow the digital financial sector piece along with fintech. And and obviously there's a whole lot of other stuff going on around NFT and DeFi. So you can see that whilst there might be turbulence in some of the currency markets, there is a, a huge opportunity. And I think this is perhaps just a bit of a watershed where perhaps we can take tokenization in the more traditional space into a new dimension. Right, right. And and to be fair, Chris, I, I know, you know, we, we, we've worked on a couple of things, um, you know, over the last few years. And it was, I was trying to remember, it must be well over three years that you ran um, a physical um, dinner in your offices in London 
for about was it about 20 mutual fund companies some of the biggest mutual yeah. fund companies certainly in the uk were there very much the 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 sense was that people were looking at it and this is correct me wrong i think it was the autumn of 2019 that you ran that dinner um yeah and so there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes and and i remember very clearly a number of the people there after dinner came up and we they were talking to you and i and they said we don't really want to be first but we want to be a very very close second so now we've seen the likes of jp morgan chase and as i say um franklin templeton and alliance burns so there's three that have already announced it um i, I know you're privy to um a number of other companies and you couldn't possibly in <laughs> tell us who's going to next but um, I think it's pretty safe to say that we're going to see, certainly before the end of this year, a few more announcements of people tokenizing mutual funds, either sort of investments that we hold in our ISAs, pensions and, and you know, across the pond 401ks. Yeah, using technology in due course to do so. The other interesting thing, as I'm a lawyer, um, which I think is, is, is a positive sign, actually, is on the 1st of July, the Council of the European Union and the European Parliament uh, you know, announced political agreement on the proposed uh, marketing crypto assets regulation. And some people might think that regulation is perhaps a business prohibitor or certainly will slow it down. But the fact that something so major as the EU is embracing the concepts of a fintech um, economy, uh, in introducing regulation and, and, and rules and enabling service providers to provide custody and safeguards. I think they're actually all very positive tailwinds, in effect, for, for tokenization in the, in the round. Brilliant. Well, that almost sounds like a topic for another day. So we might have to get you back to do another article, another podcast to talk about that as gives an update as we see how those proposals sort of uh, flesh out and get, get used in, in the real. But uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us today before we go um you mentioned at the top of the uh, podcast it was someone's birthday and i know james you know if you finish your birthday cake you are you there from cyber.fm any thoughts for uh for, for chris and what we've been discussing there what i what what what'd you say over there <laughs> come on old man <laughs> it, we're talking about tokenization of funds i i have to turn up my hearing aid i'm 47 i am 47 <laughs> years old today <laughs> making me work Come thank god it's now. about something i'm familiar with tokenization <laughs> well light the candles and, and enjoy <laughs> right right uh, nfts of candles that i can reward the people for celebrating with me now this was a good article and, and you know what's what was easier for me was that i understand uh well you know i've spoken with you in the past but i'm familiar with uh tokeny for example so it, it fit into my brain uh, on the use cases and, and what you guys are adopting over there, which hopefully will spread out my way. I keep that's the one complaint I always have, Johnny, is that you, you guys are faster than us. It's got to get over here more. And by here, of course, yeah, I mean but, America. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, I think, just, look, let's be, on, let, let's be honest, James. You know, one, once, once the Americans, you know, understand and see a good idea, they're, they're, they're amazing at commercializing it. And if you look at the size of the mutual fund industry, arguably, it has its roots, you know, back in the likes of something like Foreign and Colonial Investment Trust that was there to finance the railroad systems in the USA. But you know, look at the mutual fund market now in America. It's, it's massive. And, you know, it's J.P. Morgan Chase, U.S. company. Franklin Templeton, U.S. company. So, you know, your, your compatriots are, are, are not slow to understand and realize the opportunities. Right. Like, yeah. you know, remember we, we sold that house in Tampa. Uh, that was an NFT and an LLC wrapped up. But I feel I just feel like you guys 
are like, oh, okay, well, if we're going to sell a house in Tampa using an LLC wrapped up in an NFT, then you go and you actually create the case precedent. Even JP Morgan or, or whoever, they don't do it in the U.S. That's all my perception. Maybe because I'm on this side. Yeah, I, 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 expect United, I think the United States is already well and truly involved very closely. And, and indeed, I suspect they will be the turbocharger that really helps to make it happen. And I think there was an executive order of the, you know, the US president earlier this year about bringing together all the you know, stakeholder uh, regulators and authorities, not just in the United States, but elsewhere. So this sort of global approach to it, it again, I think is, um, is very exciting. I think it's a sign um, of good things ahead, I hope. All right. Well, look, Chris, thank you very much for, um, for, for sharing your thoughts and, and for the article. And um, I'm sure we'll be back, back on the airway soon with, with, with another, another update on, on what's happening in the sort of digital asset space. That, th- thank you very much, Chris. And, and thank you, James, for happy birthday before I forget as well, James. Thank you very much. Thank guys. You. Good show. Thank Good show. You. This podcast was brought to you by CMS Law. And if you need more information regarding the article written or the webinar, Contact Christopher.luck at cms-cmno.com.